Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American waterfowl. Welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast. My name is Elliot, and today I am joined by Matt the creator of High Prairie Sportsman, and I'm actually out in his territory. We just did a podcast on his um, podcast, which is Foulfront, and I don't know if you have listened to that. Go check it out. So we did a podcast that was before the hunt trip that we had planned together, and now we have just concluded our second hunt on this trip. We've got one more, and so we're doing a podcast over here where we're going to talk about our hunts and the experience that we've had and and all those kinds of things. So you might want to check out Matt's podcast, Foul Front, for that first episode. It kind of goes hand in hand with this one. But he was nice enough to join me here tonight, actually in our sweet little Airbnb. What's going on, Matt? Well, not too much. We're, you know, Saturday, had a good day of hunting and watching some football now. So can't complain. Yeah, it's just the two of us on this trip. I really, I was thinking about it today because two people on a hunt is just so perfect because it's so much easier to hide. Oh, yeah. Enough people to help split the work up too. Yeah. Which we've had plenty of. Right. I was thinking if we had like three or four guys, I was thinking they how much harder the hunt would have been, oh. how much harder the hide would have been. Yeah. Yeah, the hide would have been rough both days. Every time you add a person, it's just so much more difficult to get things done. And I, I love three is fine. I I will have one, two, or three, but two is just it's just Every time you eliminate a person, the decoying, the, the ease of getting birds to decoy in just goes up that much more, you know? Yep. So why don't you tell them about this little Airbnb we're in? It's a, it's kind of weird, this little Airbnb. It's, uh, it's something. I, that's, that's all I can really say. <laughs> I show up, and apparently they live here during the week, but they leave on the weekends or something. They, I do like their, uh, they have a recliner here that the handle on the footrest broke and they have a vice grip <laughs> that they used and it's, it's just a permanent part of it. It works great. I yeah. used it. It works excellent. The vice grip. There's no Wi Fi. There's a TV, but there's no Wi Fi. So yeah. <laughs> there's no cable. So, and we're staring at a keyboard right now and they're just kind of random decorations and stuff. It's just a smaller, it's like a little two-bedroom house, 
I uh, I was here first, so I got the nicer bed, Elliot. Yeah, in like a kid's bedroom with twin with bunk yeah. beds, and I a- got stuck with the Paw Patrol pillow and the girly <laughs> pink sheets. <laughs> it really the weird thing about this place, though. So I, I'm guessing in my mind, I've been thinking it's like a mom and a couple kids because there's like a bunk bed I'm, in there. I'm guessing, yeah, but it really doesn't feel as lived in as you'd expect it to feel. Like I don't know, it's just. Like in the bedrooms, you know, kids' bedrooms, they're normally cluttered with all sorts of stuff. And it just doesn't feel, it's just odd. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. There's a weight room. Yeah. There's a bunch of weight set here. Yeah. Weight set. I'll tell you, it's got to be more than a mom and a kid's because that lower dumbbell's like 60 pounds. Is it? I don't know. That's maybe 45. Maybe get some reps in later. It's (laughs) no mama's going to lift that. I'll tell you that right now. And there's lots of Matt's been enjoying the half. That half-eaten bags of chips out of the pantry. <laughs> no, I brought I brought my own chips. I don't want to eat just random. I love Doritos though, and I've like had to restrain myself. <laughs> I'm like, no, that's gross. You're not gonna go and dig your hands in a half bag of <laughs> random, yeah, random food around the house. But it is, you know, all joking aside, it's it's an Airbnb. We were gonna get a hotel. We had been debating whether we we're gonna do a hotel or Airbnb, and this Airbnb was about double the cost but with with when you're waterfowl hunting with all the gear and everything being wet and cleaning birds hotels just i'm so glad that we yeah we we made the right call on that yeah for sure it would have felt so cramped yeah with all our gear and the recharging and and then that's one thing for those of you that don't ever record your hunts it's like dealing with all of the tech stuff when you're filming it's just it's it adds so much more to to the prep work. Yeah, because I mean you you get done, and especially when you're on a multi day trip, it's like, okay, where are we gonna hunt tomorrow? What are what's our plan? Do we need to switch up tactics? Because I mean we had like I brought you brought a cart, I brought a cart, we brought kayaks, so we were kind of prepared for anything. Mm-hmm. A whole multitude of de- decoys, so we got to kind of figure out what do we want to use for spread, and that's. Before, you know, we've got to dump cameras. we got to charge batteries, maybe clean the gun because we did get rained on a little bit. Um, so, yeah, it just adds a whole nother layer. It does. It really, really does. And I'm not complaining because, I mean, we were talking about filming is so rewarding because we both, after a hunt, you just want to see the clips. You just rush to, like, what, what did I get or the clips look like, and, and you get to relive the whole thing, which is which is awesome. Um, but it certainly does add an extra layer to to everything. So um, this little town we is, we're, not, we're in, we're not going to say the name of it, but it is a, I'm falling in love with this place it's because it's tucked in to the hills and I haven't hardly seen anyone. It's like 150, 185 people population uh-huh. or something, but it's just, I don't know. I, I love the solitude of this area. I mean, we haven't seen, we haven't seen another hunter this weekend i mean we've seen some maybe some people scouting but we don't know if they're looking for deer or or what they're doing but i mean it's like it feels like we have the whole place to ourselves, which is which is wonderful it's a wonderful feeling um let's i think we should go over talk through the hunts and what's happened on the hunts but before we do that can can you kind of describe the weather pattern that we were in around here and then because this trip hit 
on a major weather cycle. Yeah, it was, uh, so prior to Thursday of this week, it was 60s, 50s, it was kind of just, and there'd be a little wind here and there, you know, 10, 15 miles per hour, random directions. And then we just had a huge cold front roll through, rain, snow in some areas, a lot of rain in some areas. Um, and that rolled through Thursday, well, Wednesday night into Thursday. Uh, and then Friday, the wind came with the cold front and it was gust up to 60 miles per hour. It was, it just was crazy. Blowing. And, uh, didn't warm up much. It was like highs in the forties yesterday. It was highs in the forties today. We had, we even had skim ice today yeah. on some place or all well, where we hunted, I guess. But yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. Major weather system. I mean, that when you get gusts in the sixties, it's just crazy. So the plan was that Matt was going to hunt Friday morning and, hopefully shoot his limit. And then I, I was off Friday. So I woke up at three 30 and just drove all day. Um, got here and able for an af for an afternoon hunt, but Matt's morning hunt didn't go very successfully. So tell us a little bit about what happened on that morning. hunt. Yeah, I set up, um, I ended up moving like twice because with that wind, I thought, I thought whatever's flying would be in and, just did not really work that way. The first time, first spot I set up, I thought I was out of the wind enough. And I had a couple pintails come and land in the spread at first light. I couldn't pick out the drake and then they flew off. Had a couple of gadwall land short and they must have flown off too. I was sitting in my hide and just waiting for them to swim in closer and look up and they're not there. So it became apparent after about a half hour after legal that I needed to make a move because it just wasn't really panning out. And so I picked all my spread up, moved, and I, I wasn't kayaking against the wind. I had basically just had my kayak to drag stuff. Um, it was basically a giant sled and found another spot with a little more out of the wind. And I thought it would work and had a few ducks, had some teal land off to my side about 40 yards. And I just, I didn't even try to go try to get them or anything. Just sat there for a couple hours and not really anything was moving. I saw a few ducks and where they were landing was kind of hidden pockets and like cattails and stuff kind of, I mean, super out of the wind places. They weren't messing with anything more than that. And so that kind of gave me my idea of where we should try for the afternoon with Elliot. Cause it was apparent where I was, they weren't really interested in, um, so I just called it a morning by 10 a.m. and packed up and wait, waited till Elliot showed up and then uh, went out for the afternoon hunt. Yeah, and we actually went back this morning to that same place and had a really good hunt, which we'll talk about later, which is just goes to show you like the weather and how much it, it affects hunting. Because it doesn't sound like now you said you thought there was some new birds this morning, but it, it's not like there was just loads of new birds. There's more kind of the wind and what they're wanting to do and where you were setting up. Don't you think anything? Yeah. Else? I'm thinking today, today's hunt was kind of like, they got kind of stir crazy yesterday by not flying in it. Mm -hmm. They kind of wanted to stretch their wings out more than anything. I mean, there, I would say there was a few like that group of widgeon that showed up mid morning that were really tall and just dumped in. Yeah. I would call those migrators, but right. other than that, may, I don't know, nothing that I could, you, that you can usually tell if they're new birds or not. But I mean, the ones we saw worked fairly well today. <laughs> right. So I don't know if I've talked about this much or if you've listened to 
of the episode of the foul front when I was over there, but I've been coming to the sand hills since high school. Uh, started out fishing for pike and then sharp tail and prairie chicken hunting where you just walk around in the sand hills and flush them up kind of like pheasants and the sharp tails and the prairie chicken kind of hang out together and you just flush them and shoot. We've done that a bunch of times. Um, been on multiple fishing trips, but have never waterfowl hunted this area. And it's always been just a huge bucket list trip for me. And so when I got here, um, we got ready and we went out to the spot and, and Matt took me to probably one of the most scenic hunting spots that I've ever been in. I mean, the, the hills in this area and just the way it was laid out was just, I can only describe it as just wild, wild and natural. There is nothing man-made feeling about this. I mean, you might as well, I, I, in my mind, that place looked exactly the same 600 years ago. I mean, I don't know if it did, but that's how it felt. I mean, it was just wild, natural, and we had to take a little bit of a walk down into this place. So Matt had a cart. We loaded up a couple dozen decoys, and we walked down in uh, to this. And the whole time, you know, the, the wind's just screaming. And the cool thing about this day was it was mostly cloudy, but then you had intermittent sunshine moments. So that put some sun rays on hills at certain times. It just looked unbelievable unbelievable so this place was fairly big and we get down in there i don't know can you describe without over describing kind of the layout of this place and and just try, try to give an, a description just of the marsh a little bit so yeah so in the sand hills basically there'll be between the i mean you'll have like big hills and then it'll turn into valleys and they might have several marshes connected they might have just one giant marsh we had a few little ones kind of interconnected with cattails and reeds and stuff growing in them. Um, and yeah, that was pretty much right. what we, what we set up on. Yeah. Lots and lots of cattails. As we walked down in there, there was, there was ducks moving around. I mean, some teal, some big ducks. It wasn't just flooded, but we were in there, I don't know, 1230 about, mm -hmm. by the time we're walking in. So, I mean, it's midday. You don't expect just to see loads of ducks, but the movement was not, was not bad at all and we were trying to figure out where to set up and we picked a real you have to watch the videos because i'm putting one out matt's putting one out at some point um is such a unique little hole because there was kind of a couple pools in there that were bottlenecked there was kind of a bottleneck in the middle and then um cattails all through it and, and there was a bunch of coots and we saw a widgeon go down into the coots and it's right on this little skinny piece of water so you had the bank and about 15, 20 yards of water, and then went right into solid cattails. And then behind us was a bigger pool. And so we thought, well, this is a perfect place for ducks to kind of get out of the wind and get away. We just saw a widgeon drop in there. So that's where we ended up setting up. And uh, the bad thing about it was um, the cattails were about, I'd say, knee deep, maybe a yeah. little more than knee deep. And the cattails were so thick. By the time we got down in there, we just couldn't, we couldn't hardly see. So we had, if we had been in a place where you could see good, we would have doubled our bag for sure. Yeah. Because we, we were just tucked in this little tiny hole and we had those, we had the FA live mallards. We had half dozen um, gadwalls, half dozen pintails, and they would just cut right through and we just would struggle to see them. Yeah, we would have probably got some more. There's a lot of blue wings that would just zip by us at like 10 
five yards <laughs> even yeah. and we couldn't couldn't see them in time yeah the visibility where we set up was i really think if we had to set up because we had talked about setting up in that bottleneck i think had we set up there we probably would have done better just because there was birds filtering through there but um we hunted from about 12 30 to see what time did we it's probably four thirty. Four thirty, yeah. And I we shot a couple ducks each. Um, what would you end up shooting? A pintail, pintail Drake, and a gadwall. Pintail Drake and a gadwall, and I shot a gadwall, and, and I lost my first duck of the year. I, sh- I lost a green wing teal, um, but it was an it was a really cool little place, and it was beautiful. We had pronghorn come down out of the hills, and the weird thing about it is there was a there was like three. Um, females. What do they, what do they call females? Do they call I didn't know. Does and bucks. Yep. Okay. Because pronghorns are actually more like a goat than they are a deer, right? Yeah. So I don't know if they called them something different. Yeah. That. But they walked down out of the hills, and I mean, it would have been such an easy shot to kill, to kill this buck. Oh, it was. Yeah, and it looked like a nice buck too. Right. I mean, they're right now is the antelope rut, so that's what he was doing. He had one thing on his mind, and he couldn't care less about us. Yeah, <laughs> that was cool, and. At the end of this section of, of pools, there was this huge hill in the back that kept getting lit up by the sun. And I'm hoping, I haven't looked at the video yet, but I'm hoping I was able to get good video of it. Cause it just, I mean, we didn't do great, but it was a unique place. It was a fun experience. And it was the, the type of situation where you felt like you could shoot a duck at any time. It's like, you didn't feel like there was nothing around. I mean, you felt like at any time, because there was enough movement and you'd see enough that you felt like you were in the game the whole time. So, of course, every time we walked around, one duck's kind of flew over a decoy. Yeah. yeah. Happened twice. We had, to, we had to stay warm, though. I mean, it was 20-degree wind chill or something. So. Yeah, it was. It, it, <laughs> it was, was chilly. It was. It really was. And, I mean, this is by far the coldest I've been exposed to for the year because it's been so hot for so long. And then all of a sudden you get this wind chill and it's, it's just gusting. Georgie's chattering her teeth like crazy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it was a really enjoyable, uh, enjoyable hunt. Then on the way out, there was this little pond and we saw a couple ducks down in there. And I decided I was going to try to put a stock on them. Um, partly because I just wanted to walk the, walk the sand hills like I used to when we were sharp tail hunting. And uh, so I had to go back around this hill to get behind the pond so I could try to sneak up on it. And I hit the crest of the sill back behind there and I look up and there's these gadwalls that are just, I don't know how to describe it. They were fighting the wind and hovering, right? Hovering. And the one came right. I was just on the top of the hill and this one came right over me and I just killed it right from the top of the hill, (laughs) which was unique experience for sure. Yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Pretty, pretty fun day, even though the birds really didn't cooperate the best, but beautiful scenery yeah for sure so so it was we ended up with i'm trying to think we ended up with five, five and lost one yep so we actually had four in the bag but it, it was still a fun day so then on day two actually that evening we went out and scouted and looked around and he showed me where we were going to be hunting this morning well you, you know you glossed over the what we did last night though oh yeah oh yeah I had, yeah tell about that because yeah. i've been highly impressed with your cooking skills <laughs> so i made a big old batch of duck chili uh for this week and cooked that up for elliot well i guess i nuked it in the microwave but warmed that back up yesterday for elliot to try 
and uh, he even put a cinnamon roll in it. Nebraska specialty. I didn't hate it. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take Honestly, it. Honestly, I really think if it had been a first cinnamon roll, I would have liked it. I was kind of like, eh. Yeah, I, I can't do the whole cooking cinnamon rolls deal. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not one of the baker type, but. Uh, but even out of a can, I think if it was just hot. Yeah, and, I guess and, we could have warmed more, them up too or tender. something. I think I should have warmed it up. Tell them about that recipe. Yeah, so it's pretty, pretty simple recipe, honestly. Um, and I use a bunch of different ducks in it. Uh, how I start out is I put a bunch of diced onions and diced bell and jalapeno peppers. You can put other peppers in if you want to spice it up. Put them in a skillet. Put your ground duck meat on top of that and then season it up. I put usually some garlic powder, onion powder, um, some Worcestershire sauce on there. And then you just let it all cook together till the onions and peppers are soft. And then you just put it in with whatever you use, you know, for chili. Um, so stewed tomatoes, tomatoes paste, uh, some chili mix, and then some beans, whatever. Whatever else you add to chili and you kind of just make it your own after that. But yeah, it, I, I like it. I, I eat a lot of it during duck season. The seasoning was the whole deal with that. I mean, you just seasoned it so well. I mean, you could not, I, I can't imagine anyone eating that and having any idea that it wasn't beef. The only way you would be able to tell is if you bit a piece of shot. Yeah. <laughs> so. Zero, zero gaminess. Even I'd say zero duck flavor, which some people like duck, the, the taste of duck more than others, but it just, it was just delicious chili. And it honestly, for real, it's one of the better chilies I've ever had because the seasoning was a little spicy. It was just delicious. I highly have you ever done a video of that? I haven't because it's I don't really have a recipe like a set recipe. I kind of just add it till it tastes good. <laughs> like I just I'll just be throwing spices in together and it's like eh, it's missing a little bit of this. I need, <laughs> need yeah. more of that. But <laughs> it's been a big money saver because we had that for dinner last night and then lunch today. Yeah. So that saves probably like 25, 30 bucks with the way prices are anymore. Well, I mean, we could have raided the pantry for free. So. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a thing of honey in there. It was really nasty looking. It looked like I think that honey's been there for like five years. What if that's just stuff that people over the years have left here? <laughs> like they just rely on people leaving yeah. crackers and stuff. How about that sink? That, that is, sink is really gnarly looking. That is, yeah, pretty janky. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate it being here. I mean, this yeah. is a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Honestly, if this was my house, I feel like I could make this 
I could make it into a home. Sure. Like, you know, I'll put a bunch, like there's, look at all this wall space. You could yeah. put all kinds of dead ducks and <laughs> deer and goats and all that good stuff on it. Like, I, it'd be nice, but. How does your girl Mallory feel about mounts all over the walls? Well, luckily most of them are actually in my office at work and my <laughs> boss isn't the happiest about that. He's like, he's like, you've reached your bird quote, dead bird quota. So I'm like, what's that mean about antelope or deer though? <laughs> so, that's great. You shot me. Was that the first antelope you shot last yeah, year? Yeah. Yep. Got him head mounted or shoulder, well, shoulder and head mounted. Is that in your office now? That's at my house, actually, because okay. I'm at Makota. He's like, no. <laughs> I was like, dang it. But yeah, that's funny. Uh, I'm going to talk about this now so I don't forget. So Matt shot uh, Widgeon of a Lifetime today, which we'll talk more about this, huh? But absolute Widgeon of a Lifetime. And we, we think it's a stormy. Uh, I'm pretty convinced. I, I'd, I'd say it is. I'd, yeah, I'd call it some, you know, partly storm stormy widget. or something. I don't know. Describe what a, what a storm widget is and then describe what you did to save that. So like a storm widget, um, it's kind of just a color phase of a Drake widget. If you've ever, you know, if you look up like the typical Drake widget, it's kind of a grayish, whitish head color with a lot of little black specks throughout it. And then they obviously like the little cotton top on it so storm widget will have it might be more of a cream color might be more of a whitish color and it has less of them white specks it looks just a little wider in the head and that's kind of what mine looked like it was more of a cream color i guess but yeah so think of the cheeks the cheeks on a, a regular drake widget are not white yeah uh, and on the storm there it's you've got the white top on the head and you've got the green bar but the cheek the whole cheek area and the chin is all pretty much white as well. And that's what that's what this one was. But, but I had never ever heard of what did what is, what's it called what you did to that thing? I caped it out. Caped it. I've never heard of anyone doing that to a duck. Describe that. Yeah. So it's kind of I mean it's basically what you do to like a deer head or antelope head if you're saving it for mounting. But basically you just cut the skin and the feathers off the head, go all the way up to the bill and cut it out. And then uh what I do is I can't, I don't have any of my stuff here, but I take like push pins, put it on a piece of cardboard, lay it flat with the feather side down. And so it dries flat and just treat it with borax and let it set for several weeks. And then it'll just dry and then you can preserve the feathers that way. And it, when it dries, it's flat. So you can yep. like hang it like uh, you could possibly put it in a frame or like on a wall type. Is that? Yeah. I mean, you could do whatever you wanted with it. What is the exact process of get of getting that cape off? I don't quite, I can't quite, I wish I had to watch you visualize. You're just taking the knife and basically just, I'm not, explain it. So basically you start about where it starts on the front of the breast. You just make an incision. And then what I do is I go right up the throat to the bottom of the jaw where the bill is. And you make little cuts around the bill. So you break between the feathers, the skin, and then the bill flesh or whatever you want to call it and then once you make that incision you just keep tension on it and you cut slowly away and you you want to make sure you don't want to like cut open the ear holes or the eye holes any bigger than what they are so you just gotta it's just really slow and just keep that tension on and it just comes off fairly easily i mean i did it in like a minute so man i wish i had to watch you do it because it really looks good it's you need to put that on instagram yeah, once it's once it's treated, I'll throw yeah. it up there. So check out High Praise Sportsman on Instagram to check that out. I don't know if you, maybe you guys have heard of people doing that. I have never. That is a brand new thing to me. Where'd you <laughs> learn how to do that? 
Uh, one of my cousins years ago showed me how to do that. We, I honestly on a widgeon, um, <laughs> we shot a nice widgeon. It was in December and, uh, really, really pretty, but obviously we didn't want to spend the money to get it mounted. So he just caped it out for me, showed me how to do it. And I've been doing it on any bird that I think is, you know, like really pretty and kind of unique. So where do you normally keep them? Uh, I've got a, I've got a Bolton board at my house. So I'll just put like one push pin in where I had it, you know, when I was drying mm-hmm. and I've got like a wood duck. Uh, I've got a, I think I've got another widgeon, a redhead. Mm-hmm. I did it with my crane. I shot a few oh. weeks ago. You, I need to see a picture of that. You need to take a picture and yeah. send it to me. I'm curious about that. I tried to do a wing board two years ago and midway to the season, I got, I was like, ah, I don't screw this. <laughs> Cause I wanted to have a wing, a wing of every bird I shot that year. And then have like a display of it. And I don't know. I just was like, I'm not as diligent as you are about everything. I'm like, this is getting on my nerves. I'm done. I'm, I'm tired of cutting wings already. <laughs> yeah. This is the second year I'm doing that. So <laughs> yeah, talk about that a little bit. That's interesting. Yeah, so, so I, um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service does a wing survey. So they'll send you envelopes. You put your wings in there and they'll, they use it to determine the sex. And then, um, what is it? The other one sex and the age mm-hmm. if it's a juvenile or adult and it's on both geese and ducks and if it's not bad i mean i've just got a pair of like <laughs> tree shears like clippers <laughs> i keep uh, it in my truck and then you know as soon as i'm skinning birds i clip a wing off each one and throw it in but when you're going you know two or three days a weekend uh it can it can it just adds one it's just one yeah. more thing but it is cool because they send at the end of the season, they send a whole printout of all your data. Yeah. And and that's really, it's it's really cool. So I didn't mind, I don't really mind doing it. It's just can get tedious when, on a long day. But you already have all that data on the North American Waterfowler app. Well, that's true. Well, I don't know if they're juvenile or adult. That's so. true. That's true. So Matt is an avid. In fact, he was the winner last year of the leaderboards <laughs> over there on the app. You can download that on iOS or Android where you can log all your hunts and we have a fun little leaderboard game system. And Matt normally is in first place on that. Do you hunt? How many times you hunt a year? Like 65 times a year? No, you know, you did like 80 last year. Yeah. It's, it's closer to 75, 80. Yeah. It's my goal. Usually it's hard to compete. I, you know, I need on the app is some type of uh, like tiered system. Like, um, well, you know how, like if you're playing video games, it'll level you. Yeah. So you can compete against, cause I hunt like 35 times a year. I'm never going to compete with you. You got the per hunt average though. Right. Yes. Which I'm, I don't know where, I think we're actually fairly close on that. Not, not this year, but. I mean, I have my fair share of skunks. Yeah. So. Right. But anyway, check out that app. It's a fun little deal. Um, so describe, kind of start describing. I'll jump in on this, the hunt this morning. Time. Okay. Yeah. So, we had a couple options this morning. We decided to uh, do a kayak hunt. Um, it's a little easier to haul a lot of gear in kayaks. And we we loaded both our kayaks down today. We had half dozen goose decoys, three dozen coots, dozen and a half mallards, and then a dozen mix widgeon and pintail. I think that was it. And a mm. spinner, I guess. Yep. Um, and so we set up, we got to the spot. We had a decent wind this morning, not nearly as blustery as yesterday, but a I good, perfect. Yeah. A good hunt wind. Yeah. We had a little bit of skim ice, um, on the edges of stuff, but nothing where it was a problem. And, uh, so we're kayaking out 
we got good cover. We got thick cattail stands, so we didn't have to worry about hide, really. You know, just tuck back in the cattails. The sun was peeking out, so we had some shadow. would really help break up our farm. And what we did is we just made a giant coot raft, essentially. We, we put them on the upwind side of both of us, threw all these coots out, mixed in the mallards, the widgeon, the pintail, and then we put the geese on the backside as kind of just more ended up mainly for confidence. Didn't really anticipate a lot of geese working, but we actually had a single and he, he, he teased us, but he, yeah, he landed yeah. short and we didn't end up getting him. I wonder if we had those goosey goes out like another 30 yards. I think we would have, but I don't know if I would have taken that shot with my gun. Little pea shooter. <laughs> may, may, if he was head on maybe, but yeah, we, I don't know. It, depend but the, i think the coot raft it was uh i would say it was effective it, it did the trick today um because it was first light well it was before first light and we were just we saw a fair amount of birds already we had uh <laughs> we had a lot of birds at legal um so first light have a pair come in or legal have a pair come in and uh, i said take them and they were they're pintails but I, it was a hen so i <laughs> first bird i shot yeah. was a hen pintail and i was like crap i i thought it could have been you know i was thinking it might be a drake but you had to be a lot more careful yeah but that paid out paid off for you to have to be more careful because your the bag you ended up with was pretty spectacular yeah, it would have been nice to have a nice chocolate top though <laughs> that's yeah and I, I just you know where the bag limits one i just hate shooting a hen pintail but it is what it is so yeah um but no first after that we had it was a good flurry of activity. I think what was next? The widgeon. Is that when they came in? Mm -hmm. Shortly after. Yep. Shortly after. Okay. So <laughs> shortly after this pair of widgeon comes in and I'm on the left side, Elliot's on the right side and the right on the back, on the far side of the spread. And I was like, all right, Elliot, if you want to take the right one, I'll shoot the left one. I had already, I was, I was, had my bead on the one on the left. They, they landed on the outside of the cute raft at about 25, I'd mm -hmm. say 25 yards. And I had my bead on the one on the left. He's like, you take the one on the right, which makes sense because I was on the right, but, but I also could see the cotton top. <laughs> yeah, that was the bird <laughs> that he ended up, the storm widget. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't plan for it like that, but it was just kind of, he was on my side. Right, that's so, why you do it. Yeah. That's what you do. But it. we, you, you got yours. I got mine. It should have been one shot. Took a few other shots, but we, we got both of them. Georgie put in the work on those. And, uh, the, I mean, when she was coming back with both them widgeon, we were just covered up in ducks. Yeah. Just we, and at one point we had divers land in and they were making their growling noise or, or whatever yeah. a diver does. And I got to thinking like, it was still pretty dark to identify them, but I'm almost positive. Those were canvas backs, like almost positive. They were canvas backs, which is further salt in the wound because I'll, well, I'll let you talk about that. Yeah. I, man, I have only shot three canvas backs in my entire life. And I mean, for me to shoot a canvas back is a huge, huge event. Cause it just doesn't happen. I just don't even hardly ever see them. I've only shot three. And so we had these canvas backs. There was, I think three or four of them and they were kind of circling around and they came a little bit far away. And, but there was one bull, canvas back that was i mean a stud it was very nice looking. you could see the red you could see the white he was just an absolute stud and so he's they all circle back around and matt said if they come by in close again take them 
And they came and they passed just on the outskirts of the decoys. And I don't know. He even called. I think he even called the shot. I did. I said, take him. And I just didn't shoot. <laughs> I normally speaking, my, my mode is <clears throat> if they're not in the pocket, I just don't normally shoot those shots. I just don't. I mean, I'm always kind of like, well, maybe they'll circle back around that, that 30 yard passing without slowing down shot. And that might even have been 35. I'd, I would probably say that's probably more like 35. I don't know. You don't think so? <laughs> I'd say 30. I just didn't shoot. This is like the Drake canvas back of a lifetime for me. And I just didn't even shoot. <laughs> and, and there he went. <laughs> well, but you know, in my defense, I did kill a shoveler later. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I think they landed just up past us. Oh, man. And shortly right, like it was like a minute after is when that gadwall dumped in and you just smoked it. I did kill the gadwall. Yeah, you got the gadwall. In place of that. <laughs> I just, I that happens with me. What A lot of times I'm so obsessed about wanting them in the right zone, in the right pocket, that if I think that they're going to possibly do it right and then they don't, I just kind of freeze. It happens a lot. And part of it's because I just don't really want that shot. But, I mean, this is not like a teal. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't prefer that shot. But this is a canvas back Drake that is gorgeous. Yeah. And, oh, well. And delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't know. I just didn't, I just didn't pull the trigger. <laughs> but um, what else? So then we had, we would have green wings just dump in. Like we had we had two little groups specifically. We had a group of like I think it was three or four, mm -hmm. and I wasn't ready. And they they were already there when I turned around to grab my gun and you you're like take them and they jump up and you shoot once. Yeah, <laughs> and you got you got that one. <laughs> they landed at like ten yards. They they, they, they came close. around the corner. We didn't even see them because they just came around the corner like wing set and just boom. They're just in they there. were just yeah they were there. Yeah, and then this group of four landed. Uh, right in the kill hole once again, and we we shot three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we doubled on the one. We yeah. I I but we looked at the camera. We went back to the footage, and I I got a little bit before but. he shot it. It was fully dead. He shot it. <laughs> I shot it. whoever eats that thing is probably going to be biting down on it's, some, yeah, some babies. It's, it's hamburger, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So we shot three, and then I think you were at five, and I still was at. What? Because then four. I, four. I was at so we, four. Because that both those two made it four to four, four and five. Because you had the gadwall, a widgeon. No, when we were done with the till, because we were at three to two, and then after the till, we were at four to four, and then I killed. I think then I killed that other till, and then I killed no at that gadwall. Because then we were we were at five to four, and then six to four. Yeah. So. So I call this shoveler in right to the, right to the hole. And I mean, it decoyed beautifully. Yeah, it was. It was being pretty. Beautifully. had the nice orange feet out on it. And Elliot just dumps this thing. Um, I didn't and let that one go. That, yeah, that was his limit. It was, it was a drink <laughs> shoveler eclipse still, but it was just a beautiful decoying bird. And then to add further salt in the wound. Yeah. <clears throat> We were we were pretty much covered up in pintails all morning, and I mean we had I don't know we had a group of like four or five come right in at twenty five yards. We had another group a little later after I had my limit. Yeah, after Elliot's limit out, the only one who can shoot a pintail, and then to top it off, we have a beautiful chocolate top <laughs> decoy right in. 
probably 20 yards. <laughs> just in the decoys, just swimming around. We both got good video of it. Yeah. Just no one could shoot it, though. Because, <laughs> you know, I had to kill that shoveler. <laughs> yeah. And that gadwall. Yeah. Oh, man. So Elliot was done, and then uh, actually it kind of died off there. We had a, a kind of a dead period other than the pintails for probably an hour. I'd you say. kept saying, you kept saying, we're going to know it. You're like, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. It's going to happen. It's like, we're going to have a flight. <clears throat> going to have a flight here. And, you know, well, I, I had a time. I set a time, and it was right about that time that yeah. we had that flight. So uh, we have this pair coming out, and they're coming right at us. And I'm watching, and then they kind of split. And I watch this left bird. And it's kind of looking to land over with the goose decoys. And then I look over to my right, just like corner of my eye, and I see this beautiful greenhead mallard just backpedaling over the spread. Yeah. And I rush my shot. And I, he was, I mean, first shot, he was dumping in. So I shot over top him. Second shot, he was back, he was on the flush. And so I, I did clip a couple feathers, but I was clearly behind him. The third shot, I hit him square and got him down but oh my gosh i oh, he's I was, been upset about this all i was day kicking long. myself because i was shooting fairly well until that really mallard well. you still shot well though you were like six for nine or something yeah i, I yeah six for nine but st- i should have should have been better than Be, that. i mean yeah, this <laughs> mount, well the sun came out so matt put the spinner out and right when he put the spinner out because the shots we were getting today were, were good quality shots but they weren't just centering up right in the hole they were no. kind of wanting to land in the raft, which was to the right, instead of being right in the kill hole. But once you bought that spinner out, I mean, almost immediately, it, the those the Drake mallard. I mean, it it did it is exactly how you would want a mallard to finish. Yeah, I mean, he had the cupped wings, feet out, just kind of wobbling on the way in. Like the video you got of him was yeah gorgeous. So got him, and then it wasn't much longer. I hear this. <laughs> That's a terrible, terrible <laughs> widgeon whistle. But I look up and they're they're probably a mile high, and then there, there was like fifteen widgeon, and I would call those new birds just from yeah. how tall they were. Uh-huh. And so you give you gave them a little talk like quacks, and then I got on the whistle and tried to, my best to do a widgeon whistle, and one of those two things worked, or both of them worked because we split like four of them off. And they made a couple passes, and but they were just dropping yeah. altitude. It didn't yeah. take them long at all. It was awesome. And uh, the minute those calls hit, you could just see them react and you could see them start to bank and, and maneuver. And that was just from that height. That was so it cool. was awesome. And then next thing you know, here's four of them right in the decoy spread. <laughs> Three drakes, one hen. The hen was probably the closest, but I picked out and you know, I was looking for cotton tops again. And I picked out one, one shot, finished him perfect. And we were done. Yeah. And I mean, had that pass happened early when both of us could have shot, at least three of those would have died, we, if not four. Yeah. Because, I mean, we, they were just pocketed. I mean, just perfect. It was, yeah, beautiful finishing birds. Great ones to end on, honestly. Yeah. But <laughs> Matt was very much more patient on this time than I was. I, I don't mind limiting a little early because then I can pick up the big camera, and which I got the last two passes with the big camera. But if you look at – you should get on his Instagram account or mine – and look at this bag because his <laughs> his limit is just gorgeous. It's got this uh, and that that the uh, mallard was completely plumed. It was really fat for this time of year. Yeah, it was a gorgeous bird. Two beautiful drake widgeons, and I've got like <laughs> these scraggly 
Teal, Shoveler. In fact, someone even commented on an Instagram and they some someone's like one of these limits looks better than the other. One. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, your limit looked so gorgeous and mine looked like a, <laughs> a bunch of trash ducks. Is that what, I mean, I, I don't think there is I don't think a trash duck exists, honestly. Um, but as far as like when you if you can like trophy put out a limit, that's obviously way more ideal than just some scraggly gad walls and, and shelves. I will, I will say that that shoveler Drake for not being plumed out was a pretty bird. He was, he, his was, feet but, were really, really colorful. Yeah. But the, the eye appeal of your limit versus mine was noticeable, <laughs> noticeable difference. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. Um, then we went out, Oh, we were done fairly early. I mean, then we went out and kind of did some scouting this afternoon, found a couple spots, Tomorrow, I don't know what to expect tomorrow. It's going to be tough. There's virtually no wind, maybe some fog rolling in, which I haven't had a lot of luck with fog hunts over the years. So every now and then, if it burns off early, we can. See, I actually have had really good luck with fog hunts. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's But the it. burning off is key. Yeah. When the fog burns off, my experience is I still shoot some in the fog, but when the fog burns off, it's it's normally ridiculous. Well, hopefully that burns off early because we gotta we gotta be out of here by yeah. a certain time. So Larissa and her two kids are gonna be back here at eleven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's her name or not. I, I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> I had to cut you off. I, I, yeah, no, I if we shoot a couple birds tomorrow, I'll be happy. I mean, I'm already happy because it was well and. I, I came up here a day early before too. I hunted but the st- before the front and I shot a limit too. Yeah. So it was <laughs> kind of a scout hunt slash. I'll tell you, next time I come up here though, I'm inviting Jordan Frommer because we're driving around and there's private marshes everywhere and like right off the road, loaded, loaded, loaded. And Matt and I are both generally kind of introverts. I don't think there's any way I could get Matt to go knock on a door. And I have no desire to knock on doors. But Jordan Fromer is the master of knocking on doors. And he won't come here. I think I, I'm going to work on it because, hey, Jordan, we need your we need your skills. Because I'm serious. You find these private places, and they're just completely jam-packed loaded with, with ducks. And the, the population density out here is almost nothing. So I don't imagine like these guys are getting a lot of people knock on their doors probably. Yeah, but he can't use his mud motor out here. So, <laughs> yeah, that's probably why he won't come out. That's yeah, that's probably key. Jordan, <laughs> I won't put in the work from her. <laughs> that's actually not true. He he works his he Jordan works his butt off. <laughs> we got to give him a little crap. Yeah, for sure. But, so I before we before we sign off, I do want to talk about the coots, um, which these coots that Matt's using are from Final Approach. And FABrand.com is actually a partner of the podcast. And anything on FABrand.com, you can get 10% off at FDH10. And um, man, or, I, was, I was actually thinking about that. No, <laughs> don't, you don't want, all right, go ahead. Or HPS10. <laughs> whoever, <laughs> they'll do the same thing. <laughs> but seriously, final approach decoys are awesome i'm i'm all bought into their decoys but talk talk about the coots because i i am well i'll i'll tell my thoughts about the coot raft um afterwards but go ahead yeah. so I've, I've been a big proponent of coot decoys for years um i i'm a big believer in 
kind of matching the hatch, so to speak, seeing, trying to match what your scouting is showing you for species that's out there. And over the years, ducks land with coots. They land in coot rafts. They love seeing them coot rafts. They're a beacon of safety to them, basically. And I've bought, in, uh, I've bought coot decoys in the past that were, um, well, they were GHG oversized coots. And they, they work, but they're huge. I mean, they're the same size as mallard decoys. And that's, I don't really care for the oversized decoy thing. I don't, especially packing in, it just, I'd rather have more numbers than bigger decoys. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I like these FA coots is they're actually life size. They're maybe just a little bit bigger than a teal decoy. So you can just pack, I mean, you've had three dozen in your sled. Yeah, no, me, uh, small to medium size sled. They're so light. I just dumped three dozen and like it was nothing. Yeah. It, so they're easy to chuck out. They're easy to haul. And we had, I mean, we had awesome numbers out there to to, to imitate what was actually out there because there was coots out there um, and it looked natural to the birds today. Yeah. And they reacted well to it for sure. And I I want, because I think three dozen is fine, but I really want, I'm going to ask for like five or six dozen. Yeah. I'm getting more next year if I can. And I, even like teal hunting, like September and October, I want to be using, well, as long as there's, as long as there's teal and gray ducks, I want to be using, if I can, five, six dozen and maybe a dozen others. Because, I mean, it's just so different than what anyone else does. And they're so light and they look so good. And the white on the bills, it just pops out. I mean, I just, I'm after today, because the ducks that came in, a lot of them, actually, I wish that we had set it up a little bit different. Because a lot of them wanted to land either right in it or right off the backside of it, which yeah. wasn't exactly ideal for us. If we had shifted it like 10, 15 yards to the middle of us, because it was off to my right. A lot of the early stuff was actually kind of landing. You know, even like those canvas backs. Yeah. They kind of swooped off the back end. But, I mean, the birds were reacting to them. I felt a little differently than what I see in a natural puddler set. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know them... I almost wonder if we didn't like them goose decoys, if we shouldn't have pushed them back further, just more for confidence rather than like, I, I don't know. I like, I like having more of an open hole than that, but yeah, I, I think they were just stuck into that raft. Cause that's what I see. I, I was, uh, last weekend I was, it was the big duck opener on day one. And we had a coot raft that was interrupting our hunt because once you get those rafts and there's that many in there, it's just fighting against them is really futile. I mean, you just, you need to get them out. You need to flush them, but you can't. They come back. It's like <clears throat> once they're sucking into the coot raft, you're you're just hoping to get a few little spinoffs. But that's the way they react. Is like you have the whole raft, and they just land in it. Mm-hmm. It's like they don't pocket; they land in it. And so I think that was the deal: is that they were just reacting to a coot raft like they normally do, and we're just not quite. I mean, this is really the first year you've ever had this many decoys, and maybe this is just a learning process to like where to put that raft exactly when you're setting up because to me for the whole first couple hours everything was a little bit off to the right a little too much yeah and i guess i was kind of you know i was treating it kind of more like other duck species decoys Mm -hmm. where typically you know they'll try to land behind it and i mean i even had my kicker pair of mallards there to kind of i like having that right yeah Um, because that's where you'd expect them to land is right in that pocket yeah and yeah so it, it, it is a learning process but I think a couple more dozen coot decoys would help. I completely too. agree. So. Well, if you think about it, with our two sleds, we could easily get eight or nine dozen of those. That would be fun. With with the kayaks and the sleds, we could do eight or nine dozen coot decoys. I 
Yeah, I mean, if you could get a get like three guys each with five or six dozen coot decoys and just throw a giant coot spread out there and yeah. maybe mix in a few divers or widgeon or pintails, just a little bit of contrast. Yeah. <clears throat> I bet that would be. I think no one's in, they're not going to have seen that ever other oh, than natural. Act, right, natural. I wonder how late in the season that would work. In my mind, I like, well, when the coots are gone, I would want to put them away. But I don't know. I, I just wonder, like, if you could get into mid-November a little bit. I bet, yeah, and I mean, I still see them in November in areas, um, even December before, if unless it gets really cold. Mm. I think it just really depends on your area more than anything. But right, totally agree. Well, so we got one more hunt tomorrow. We're going to go back to the same place, and I I would be shocked if we didn't shoot half a hundred of each. I think we'll shoot three birds each. I, I don't think we can be as selective as we were today. Like yeah. if we got teal in there, we're going to shoot teal. Like if I get a gorgeous mountable canvas bag drake at 30 maybe i should i'll shoot tomorrow mm, you had your shot today <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm also shooting tomorrow if we have a canvas bag <laughs> yeah th those canvas bags that actually in between they swoop kind of through first on the first time and you're like uh how nice do i have to be <laughs> i'm like you need to be pretty nice i haven't <laughs> shot a canvas back in like 10 years <laughs> and I, I called the shot for him I just would you have shot that I would have shot that. Yes, I would have shot that. <laughs> well, oh well, <laughs> it was a it was a fantastic day. This trip has really uh, held up to expectations. Just the the gorgeous beauty of the area is it's it, it's like no other place I've ever seen. It's it's vast. It's empty. It gives you that feel the feeling that I always chase in duck hunting. That kind of um, lonely peacefulness just lives in the sand hills it's just you can't stare in the sand hills without feeling that emotion which i mean we were done and gosh we probably spent 45 minutes just kind of taking pictures and soaking it in right just like where, where would i rather be hanging out in this airbnb or just we experiencing those hills we saw because we saw all kinds of stuff today we saw swans yeah. we saw pelicans cormorants yeah goose yeah i got great footage of swans so so if you want to see these videos, um, check out. I'm going to be releasing them. Matt will be releasing them. I don't know the date, the time range of them. And, and like I told you today, I don't care when you. Because when when like two um, YouTubers are kind of together, the whole release thing is kind of a big. I don't, I don't care when you release it. I know yeah. you're excited about that hunt. So release whenever you want. All right. But go go check it out. Go check out his Matt's channel and also Foulfront podcast. And check out Freelance Duck Hunting. Um, for to see these videos, I don't know when they'll come out. Probably not by the time you're hearing this, but I would say within a week or so, you'll start seeing those. So, well, any final thoughts? Yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we have another good one tomorrow. But if not, still been an awesome, awesome hunt, awesome trip. Yeah, it has. I appreciate you having me up here and let me piggyback off you because it makes it a lot easier to yeah. come up with someone that knows where to go and what to do yeah yeah scouting is very key up here so you gotta definitely do that all right well thank you and you have listened to another episode of the north american waterfowler podcast